Hello, Waterloo Road fans, and welcome to the first episode of your double episode week of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. I am Tom Beasley, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome you to this, our second interview special of the podcast. This time around, the guest is Jason Merrills, who will be best known to you as Jack Rimmer, the head teacher of Waterloo Road for the first two series of the show and a little bit of series three as well. Uh, if you listened to the podcast last week, you will have heard us discuss the emotional farewell of Mr. Rimmer, and I got the chance to talk about that emotional farewell with the man himself. Uh, as with the Jamie Glover interview, this is a very, very fun chat with a key figure of the early days of Waterloo Road. Jason gave me lots of great info on his time on the show, and also said whether he would be willing to return for a reunion special if he got the call from the BBC. Again, as with the Jamie Glover interview, if you would like more from Jason Merrills, you can head on over to the Patreon. If you subscribe there to the £5 level or above, you will get an extended version of this interview with between 10 and 15 minutes of extra content in the form of a quickfire Q&A. It is well worth your time, well worth your money, and I would urge everyone to subscribe which you can do over at patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod. While I'm here, I would like to give a shout out to our current patrons. So thank you to Tom Percival, to Matthew Kumar, to Evan Francis, to Georgia Leah, aka the Avocado Bath on both Instagram and TikTok, and to Eliza from Waterloo Road Iconic on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you to all of you for uh, subscribing to the Patreon. I hope you enjoyed the extended interview. And for those of you who are not subscribers, sit back and enjoy my chat with Jason Merrills. I will see you again on Friday. If it wasn't for you lot, there wouldn't be a Waterloo Road. So you should be proud of yourselves, because I'm proud of you. And don't you let anyone tell you that you're not good enough. Because being a part of this school and this community isn't going to stop you achieving what you have to achieve. In fact, it's going to help you. And everything that I've done in there, it's been a privilege to be the headmaster of this school. So I'm delighted to be joined uh, on the podcast by uh, Jason Merrills. Hi, Jason. Hello. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to, to join me on the podcast. It's uh, great to be talking to you about, uh, about Waterloo Road and about uh, the character of Jack Rimmer, who uh, we, we've just said goodbye to on the show as our uh, rewatch is, is going. Um, I think the right. first thing many people will, uh, will notice is that you're not Northern. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, I played a lot of Northerners, especially around that time. Um, yeah, I, think, I think between this and Emmerdale, I think people will be... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot. Most of the work was all up north back then. Um, and Manchester, it was a kind of golden age of um, drama that was happening. I mean, not that there's not been other golden ages and other great stuff happening, but at that time, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of new writing and a lot of um, energy in the city. And uh, I played a couple of northerners prior to that. And... Uh, but I wanted to base him very much in a kind of more of a Rochdale uh, regional accent. So I worked quite hard on that at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. What do you remember from, um, from first getting involved in, in Waterloo Road? How did that process work for you? 
Um, I just remember a, a lot of interviews. I'd worked with the producer, I think, for on a show called Sweet Medicine. So I knew uh, Claire. And so I, I came in initially through her, I think, and I met for it. And I was really pleased to meet for it because it was unlike anything I've been up for uh, in, a, in terms of sort of leading something because it was, um, it was a sort of character that you could imagine a sort of someone like Tim Spall playing mm. or something like that. You know, someone that was, um, it, it wasn't what I was usually seen as. And I enjoyed um, playing more of a character part um, with that um, and bringing that to the table. And, and uh, yeah, it was, that's what I liked about it, I think. And the story itself, which was um, a good one. How do you turn a school around? Which appealed to all of us, I think, at the time, at the beginning. Um, what do you do um, to help a failing school in a failing area, you know, and, and, and all of those things were interesting and yeah, it seemed like a great sort of opportunity. Yeah, you mentioned there that it was, uh, this was kind of a chance to take on a, a lead role. Was it, was it daunting at all to be at the lead of this massive ensemble cast in this show? Um... I remember really uh, it was you know it wasn't yeah I suppose so it, you know as you say it was a it was a leading role in an ensemble which was um, yeah he was the head teacher but it wasn't like it was his story it was the school story so um, yeah no I was pleased but I'd, I'd been sort of doing that in other shows too like a leading role in a in a great ensemble and so yeah I know that was that was lovely um, and uh yeah nice to be off for that yeah and, and so once you'd accepted the role and you'd kind of got to the set um what were your first impressions of the the role and the job and, and did they change at all when you finally got got into doing it yeah well first impressions were quite stark because we were filming in a school that had failed and um that was quite an eye-opener really because it was unable to continue for all the reasons that we were dealing with um, so that was a little bit of a kind of cold irony. Um, and yeah, we, we shot and filmed in the school. Our unit base was the school. Our kind of little individual rest areas were knocked up out of NDF, like little cubicles in, in an empty part of the school that we didn't film in. So everything was in the school, catering, you know, like you do a lot of jobs and you have a unit base, which is elsewhere to where the location is. Everything was in the school. Um, so it was, it was sort of, yeah, it was, it, it was like being part of an institution while you were there. Um, and there were many, many things that were, you learned, had to learn very quickly because even though you're dealing with, in many cases, child actors and kids that were from local schools that were doing drama, so they were interested, that doesn't mean that you didn't have to have some kind of element of a teacher's skill in controlling them during scenes. So in many ways, a lot of those school scenes were, they come across as realistic because they were realistic because you still, you have to hold their attention. And um, yeah, it, it, it sort of helped. It, it helped that we were all in the, in the place all the time operating in that way, you know, so it felt very kind of like authentic and, um, yeah, I think that comes across on screen, I think. I think 
does. And I guess did that aspect of it make it easier for you to get into the role of a teacher, which is obviously a very unique profession. Um, you know, yeah. particularly there's that one episode where you do get into the classroom and you, and you do a bit of teaching. Did the yeah. fact you were in a, a school scenario make that easier for you as an actor? Yeah, I think I think definitely. Um, and you know, I went I went to quite a rough school, um, and you know, it's not easy. And God, we gave our teachers hell. You know, and um, yeah, playing the other side of it or attempting to portray the other side of it um, was interesting. And, and I guess you know, um, Rimmer was that kind of teacher that. And obviously he was flawed, but he was the kind of teacher that whose heart was in the right place and had a kind of um, streetwise respect from the kids, or most of them, um, which is kind of current golden currency in a school. Um, because if you lack that, I think it, it's very hard to try and climb back from, you know, as a teacher. Um, and kids are, can be cruel and relentless and, uh, they can spot weakness and smell it. So um, it was interesting to play that kind of teacher uh, and to sort of explore how that works, you know? Uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting, I guess, portrayal of a school. And I, this was one of the things I talked about with um, with Jamie is that the show feels like such a time capsule because it's it's it happened at such a period of transition. You know, in those early series that that you were in, you know, they're talking about how much of a an amazing thing it is to have a computer in every classroom and yeah. interactive whiteboards, and then you know, social media is not really a thing in those early series, and they're all walking around with these little Nokia flip phones and stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting how the show feels like such a time capsule now. It is, and I, I mean, it's been heartening to see how kids have responded to it recently and it's recent sort of rebirth on iPlayer or I think it's iPlayer. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's been really hard. I mean, I've, we've had so much kind of sort of attention and feedback from it from, from kids, you know, that wouldn't remember the first time and, and must look at it like some kind of weird history project where no one is doing TikTok. And, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, they, they still seem to cut through that and, and you can see the connection and the similarities because, you know, they are obviously all still there. Um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a funny time and it was a more hopeful time, I suppose. We, we're living in a kind of more worried um, and tumultuous time now than we were then, certainly. Maybe that's something... Maybe that's something to do with the technology that we're all addicted to. Well, maybe maybe it is. I mean, because like when I first started doing this podcast with, with a friend of mine, I just suggested it to him because the show had turned up on iPlayer and I watched it when I was a teenager and, uh, and really yeah. liked it at the time. And then I was shocked at how many of the listeners and the people who were interacting with us were people, as you said, who are kids now. I was fascinated yeah. by that because I wasn't expecting yeah. it. No, I wasn't. No, no, no one was. But one thing I remember from you know, from working on it. And as it aired over the, the two and a half, three years I was there, um, what, what they did really well, Brian Park really was, it was his, I think it was his great idea, was that they knitted together um, kids, teenagers and parents at that eight o'clock drama slot. 
And I don't think anyone had done that before. Um, yeah, everyone thought of watches soaps, okay, maybe. Um, but there was a kind of like, no, everyone wants to sit down or everyone seemed to want to sit down and watch that. Kids wanted to watch it. The adults wanted to watch it. And suddenly that audience was knitted together. And that's what made it successful. And I guess that's what made it go for as many years as it did. Um, because it was that kind of family, family viewing. Um, so I guess that still holds, you know, it's still something that, I mean, obviously now these kids are watching it differently, but maybe they're still, you know, maybe they talk to their mum and dads about it because their mum and dads remember it. I don't know. But yeah, it still has that quality to it. I think. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's really fascinating and particularly in terms of some of the big issues the show deals with, because right from day one, it was never afraid to take on massive, yeah. very serious issues, despite the fact that for a lot of the time it was quite a lighthearted drama. Um, and, and watching it recently, you know, sometimes you sort of cringe because, you know, they're approaching these issues 15 years ago and we feel very differently about them now. Yeah. But other times you sit there and you go, how ahead of its time was this to be handling these issues head on? Yeah. Um, it's, I think it, yeah, I think it changed. You know, everything changes as it moves on, but I think it changed quite a lot. I think there was always a tension between the sort of, stories that were that were around at the beginning and the sort of stories that any tv show can fall into which is like who's you know who's in love with who who's kissed who that sort of thing not to say that that's not an interesting story sometimes of course it is um but um there, there was always a tension between you know the bigger picture which which you know a lot of us at the beginning felt was the story, which was, what do you actually do to turn this school around? How do you teach in a comprehensive system in, a, in an impoverished, uh, troubled area? Um, how, what is the right thing to do? What, how do you do it um, day to day? And um, yeah, the tension between that and the more lighthearted elements that was always there, that was always there. But I think at the beginning, it was more equal is what I'd say and I think it went over the years inevitably I, th I think probably everything does that goes on and on for years you know inevitably it sort of soft pedaled on some of that um yeah and I think one of the things that that keeps those first few series especially really kind of on the rails is that trio of yourself Jamie Glover and Angela Griffin as as, as Jack Andrew and Kim how easy was it for you to find your your chemistry with those two and and kind of set up that core of the show well, Angie, I knew um, uh, from cutting it. So we got on really well. She's lovely. She's fantastic. Um, so I was thrilled when I knew she was in it anyway. Um, and I knew Denise because we'd done a film together. Um, something else with me, I can't remember now. But, uh, and I knew Jason, I think. Don't. Um, what did I mean? I can't remember. <laughs> we might have met. We might have met on Clocking Off. We a lot of us did a, a show called Clocking Off. Mm. And just, uh, might have seen met Jason Don on that. Um, and Jamie, I met uh, <laughs> the first day of, of filming and uh, poked his head around the MDF board. <laughs> uh, said, "What's all this about?" And so we, yeah, we just hit it off immediately. So it was it was a joyful job to work on a lot of fun and 
a lot of laughter. Um, yeah, it was it was great, and it, it always helps when you know someone a bit at the beginning, um, which I do. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, and then of course you mentioned Denise there, and of course the other big you know uh, figure in in Jack's time in the show is is Christine, who plays Davina. Yeah. Um, what was it like working with her and kind of her coming in a bit later to that to that unit? It was lovely. She's lovely. Um, she's brilliant. And yeah, and beautiful. And it was a great story. It was, you know, they put these, these two together that should just be happy, but they put a lot of obstacles in the way of that. And um, which, you know, was, was great to play. And um, yeah, I think she's fantastic. And yeah, that was all, that was all good. Um, and provided uh, a kind of a, a reason for Jack's exit, really. Definitely. Yeah. And then you, one of the things we talk about on the podcast a lot with, with Jack is the very kind of unique form of masculinity, I suppose, that, that he represents in the show. Um, I guess, was that ever a part of your, your thinking as, as an actor, you know, because he is this guy who I think one, um, I think uh, Kim describes him in one episode as being like a bull at a gate. You know, he yeah. has this kind of, you know, bull in a china shop energy to him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, his, his, his way of, <laughs> of dealing with things is physical mm. and um, instinctive and not by the book, uh, which was the point. Um, and Andrew Treneman was obviously yes. intellectual and by the book and full of kind of actually very good ideas. Um, and it was their teamwork, really, that was the, the, the force of change. Yeah, that's it. We sort of see them both draw closer to each other. So Jack becomes more like Andrew and Andrew becomes more like Jack and they yeah. meet somewhere in the middle, I think. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, some of the things that he did, um, you know, sort of punching the lights out of kids that were being, not kids, I mean, most of them were like you know, 20 or <laughs> um, You know, sort of being physical in that way with certain really bad, storylines yeah you wouldn't you you wouldn't really expect your teacher to be like that but at the same time in a drama you were sort of rooting for it i think because it was usually done for the right reasons um i mean i remember <laughs> i remember unseen there were so many great actors as kids came through it you know including jack o'connell as i'm sure you you know. Yeah, indeed. I was. I, he was on my list to ask about because the, the level of performance he brings to that episode yeah. is just outstanding. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And um, you know, I knew that he was in. You know, I think I, I think he'd done. This is England, so mm. he, we talked a little bit about that. And you know, I have to wrestle him down a corridor and into a room, and I had to wrestle him down a corridor. <laughs> You know what I mean? There was there was no acting involved. In that. Um, I'm glad I've got him in the room. But um, yeah, that was that was any you know he was like afterwards he was like yeah oh, soul man that was real yeah yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I felt complimented by that. But um, no, it was great and he was wonderful in that. But there were lots of actors like that that came through um, very young and have gone on to do great stuff. Yeah, I think you and uh, you and Jason Dome probably share the record for the most punches dished out yeah. during uh, during your time on, on Waterloo Road. Occasionally to each other, I think must be said. Yeah, um, but you know it was um, 
that was yeah that was the character and it was interesting i mean i don't think i ever thought too hard about it i thought i know who he is i felt i knew who he was and i felt that the important thing about him was that he you know he was a good man really and he um you know i mean like the the the, the scene with um i forget his name the kid that had sort of assaulted um angie griffin's character lewis seddon lewis seddon yeah I mean, the point is that he doesn't attack him, but he mm. frightens him. Now, of course, that's still not right, and I wouldn't expect that to be on the playbook of any teacher in a real school. But at the time, knowing what had happened, you sort of kind of think, well, that's all right. He didn't actually hit him, but he just scared him mm. into sort of just backing off. Um, so, it, like, dramatically, it felt like the right thing to do. And I think I, as long as we kept our eye on that, which I think I did mostly, then um, I think for dramatic purposes, it kind of worked, you know? Mm. Well, one of the things about that episode specifically, um, I mean, my co-host and I, we spoke very positively about that episode in particular. Um, and not, not just because of the, the power of the actual scenes between Lewis Seddon and, and Kim, but because of the, the nuance of the way it's dealt with afterwards. Because obviously, as you said, you have Jack and Andrew going in to scare him. And yeah. then they go back to Kim and Kim is very questioning of the way they've handled it because, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, they blunder in like good. men. They, and, I think it was really good that, yeah. And that's it's, so, I thought that was so ahead of its time and so, you know, nuanced in the way it approached it, which I don't think you'd expect from a primetime drama at, in 2006, 2007. Yeah, well, I think Kim's character represented really the way schools became. Um, and now a school like that, if it doesn't have its pastoral care in place, it's, I'm just going to swear, but I won't, it's, <laughs> it's not going to go very far. You know, um, uh, a, a friend of mine is a teacher in an inner city school in London and he's head of pastoral care. And it's, you know, it's very important. It's very important that schools like that. And that's what she was. That's what she represented. And I think what she brought to it was, um, really reining people like Jack in and sort of softening the kind of hard certainties of people like Treneman, you know? And I was going to ask, before we move on from sort of that general topic, the, the, the physicality that, that Jack brings, you know, some of his more violent antics and, you know, the throwing tables around and stuff in the, the Lewis Seddon scene, I guess, what are the challenges of doing that as an actor, you know, the art of throwing the perfect punch or of, making it look as real as possible while obviously keeping everyone safe. Well, I, I went for it in that scene and you'll notice there's a hole in the wall, which is weird. We're real. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. It's pretty I, intense. I'm not sure if I broke my knuckle. I broke that a couple of times, but I, I don't know if, um, yeah, I hurt my hand. Um, so uh, we just went for it. We, you know, it was uh, directed by Jim Loach, that scene. He was a mate. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. And, and we all just wanted to go for it. And uh, Craig, is it Craig who played Lewis? Yes. Yeah. He wanted to go for it. Um, he was up for it. He was a, you know, he, he didn't mess about either. So, um, yeah, it, it was, we all sort of like roughly just had this idea that there would be chaos in the room and chairs would be thrown and I would try not to throw them at anyone. Yes. But, um, <laughs> 
Um, and then yeah, we just, you wonder whether maybe Jamie's fear in that scene was real too. <laughs> yeah. We just let it. We just let it go. I think we only did it once or twice, mm. and um, yeah. So in that instance, um, it worked. But um, each scene dictates what it needs, really. In in some ways, other scenes punches are very choreographed, and you know, but they look great. It's it's yeah. It's what it's what needs. But a scene like that where there's so much emotion underneath it, some, sometimes you just need to get real a bit, get a bit real with it. Absolutely, and I, I, I do think Jack is terrifying in that scene. I think it's really, really well done. Um, so after uh, the end of series two, as we get into sort of your exit storyline in, in series three, you see, we see Jack, who we've previously seen as this kind of fairly stoic force at the centre of the school. We see him begin to unravel a little bit after what happens with, with Izzy. Mm. What, were, what were, I guess, the different challenges of approaching that side of Jack? Um, I don't know, really. There was... They were always similar. It was just, you know, he, he was always he was always a little bit unravelled, mm. um, and he was always close to unravelling mm. in some aspect of his life. So to watch, you know, to watch the whole thing begin to come apart once he just sort of found his real vocation, that was interesting. I think. Um, and to see how the corporate world was moving in and taking it away from him, or potentially taking it away from him. Um, you know, in, in Nick City's character, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, but I think it was watching sort of someone that realized, you know, basically he, he went into the job. But when you watch the, the first episode, you know, he's a, he's a chancer. He's just mm. trying to have an easy, easy life and get through every day at this kind of, chaotic school and then he gets kind of bumped up just out of because you know they've got nothing they've got no better idea really and it's going to close anyway in six months so they figure give him the job and that just gives him this kind of opportunity which it takes him two years to realize he really wants and really is quite could be quite good at um and then it's taken away or potentially taken away so yeah that was interesting and then of course you get the very emotional, I think, episode where Jack leaves the school mm. um, and, and you get that big moment in front of all the kids where they're all cheering for Jack and you get to say your goodbyes to the various characters. Um, yeah. I, I found that a very emotional scene, even revisiting it 15 years later or whatever. Was that an emotional day for you when you when you shot that scene? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was. It, it went well. And, and I think... Um, yeah, I tried to keep a lid on it, which uh, Philip Martin Brown, who played Grantly, said, "Yes, that's the right, that's the right thing to do. Don't, don't start bloody crying." <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, you know, Jack wouldn't do, or he would keep a lid on it. So he did keep a lid on it. And I, but I think it was still very emotional, um, and it was emotional to do it. Yeah. It was nice because it felt, you know, it felt as an actor, this character had earned that. You know, um, so yeah, that was good. Yeah, I, th I think the character had earned it, and I think you know, it's it, up until that point, I think it was the biggest kind of goodbye any character had had, and I think that's significant given you know how large Jack looms over those first two and a half series when 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 yeah. you're on the show. Um, one of the things that happens in that goodbye scene is you get a nice little farewell moment with with Tom Payne as as Brett Aspinall. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another lovely little relationship Jack has uh, during this yeah. show. What was it like working with, with Tom and establishing that very antagonistic relationship? Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun because uh, Tom, as a lot of those kids were, that were playing six formers. Um, they were a bit older than that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, he was already, you know, I think he was in his early 20s. And, yeah. um, and this, you know, as an actor and, and and so there was, I remember he used to wind, he used to wind us up sort of going, so how old are you? How old, how old are you? <laughs> That's um, a very Brett thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So, and you'd sort of, I can't remember, late, late 30s we were at the time. Like, right. So you're just, you're, and, and you're doing this now here? And you're like, and it was kind of like, and it was, it, it worked. We were like really wound up by it. Yeah. But um, that, that fed into the scenes um, quite well. Um, no, but it was fun. I think he's very good, and and it was uh, that combative relationship that they had uh, worked very well. I thought, and and, abs- and that moment at the end, you see, there's kind of a mutual respect there, which they've established by sparring for the last last year or two, which I think was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that's really great. Um, and then obviously later in series three, you return for that one-off uh, one-off episode um, where you you know tell Davina you're going to Dubai and, and, and ask her to come with you. Um, yeah. What was it like to return to the show? Because um, presumably you did have to come back a few months later for that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, in my memory, it wasn't that long ago. Mm. But um, yeah, no, it felt really nice. It felt really nice. It felt strange to not have Jack's hair. <laughs> and to have like sort of longer hair. It made me feel quite un-Jack. Mm. But um, I guess that was the point of it as well. But yeah, that was one of the first sort of good decisions I made. Like I'm going to sh- cut all of the hair off, but like not with any attempt at a cut. Just like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that, and that sort of, that was a window into him for me at the beginning. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's definitely true. Um, so your your exit from the show was that something that came from you or did it come from from the show side? Uh, no, I think yeah they they wanted me to carry on, um, mm. which was lovely. Always a lovely position to be in. Um, at the time, um, I felt that we'd done the story, mm. and um, I also felt that realistically um, teachers like that that do that tend to burn out of it mm. and um, head teaching is a difficult game and the landscape had changed and I think with the, with the change in landscape I think it felt right that he would move on um, I was ambitious to move on and um, yeah and I felt as I said there's slightly I felt slightly that that story of the school was, I don't know, not fudged, but it was getting a bit more lost. And, um, and I still wanted to tell that story, but I wasn't sure um, that they did. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of figured it was a good time to move on. Um, leave them laughing, you know, leave them wanting more. Um, he's always good. I thought, and when you're a bit younger, as I was then, it, it feels good. <laughs> I had no idea it was going to run 
for 14 years. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, you know, when it did extend off into the future, was there ever any suggestion that you might, you know, pop back in? Uh, I never sought that. Uh, and I don't think, I don't know. I mean, they always had, you know, fantastic actors coming in to be featured. So I don't think it was something that they, they felt was necessary. Hmm. Um, I think they would have been interested in a kind of return as a story, but, um, you know, it wasn't something that I saw. So neither side had sought. So it was no big deal. But um, it's funny. It is funny when you, when you then watch it go, 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 and go. And <laughs> there's a little part of your brain goes, I, I could have maybe bought a speedboat if I'd have stayed. <laughs> or not that I'm that into speedboats. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, your cho- choices are to, to, to board a, a TV show for 10 years or win Bullseye. That's how you get a speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that, um, but I don't begrudge that. Absolutely. Not at all. They had some wonderful actors come in after me, one after the other. And the team that were, were still there were fantastic. Um, so, you know, as I said, it was never a story about Jack Rimmer. It was a story about the school. Mm. So um, that was all fine. Absolutely. And once you moved on, uh, how significant, I guess, was everything you did and everything you learned on Waterloo Road to your career? Because obviously, you know, we talked about some of the things you'd done before, like, like cutting it and, and Queer as Folk and things like that. How significant was Waterloo Road to you going forward? It gave me confidence in playing uh, a more defined and nuanced and interesting and angled character. So I'd done a lot of kind of, on TV, not in theatre, but on TV I'd done a lot of kind of leading man sort of bloke things and that weren't particularly um, dramatically torn Occasionally there were, but on the page, on the kind of page of when you first see the kind of definition of the character, um, Jack Rimmer was different in that sense. He was flawed, he was chaotic, he was this, he was that. Do you know what I mean? So that was the first character, major character on TV or film that I played like that. And it gave me confidence to sort of look for that bit and want that more and feel I could do that rather than just a sort of leading man thing where you just have to sort of be there sometimes. Um, so yeah, I learned a lot in, in that sense. And any, any long running show like that, where it's a bit of a scramble, you, you learn a lot. Um, you learn to work quickly and, and, and to sort of value all of the other jobs that go into making a show like that. And, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are still friends, uh, which is good. And then you moved on uh, after Waterloo Road a few years later to, to Emmerdale, which obviously is yeah. such a behemoth in, in, in British TV. It's this massive thing. Um, yeah. I, how did that differ, I guess? And, 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 and what was that project like, particularly playing a character who goes into some very dark areas? Uh, it's just logistics, really, that are different. It's, um, you know, every, every two weeks you get 12 scripts and it's fast. Mm. Um, uh, but really, it's not, you know, you don't have a lot of run-up rehearsal times. You have a line run before a scene, which is your rehearsal, <laughs> unless you've got a big set piece to do, um, which takes a little bit more planning, Like which I was lucky enough to be involved in a few of those. But yeah, it's, it, I mean, 
Emmerdale is full again of fantastic actors, and I, I I knew that from before because I did a little bit of running for a charity team. And I've met a lot of those Emmerdale guys, um, and for me, it was it was the one that my nan used to watch. I'm not a big soap watcher, watcher generally. I'm not a big TV watcher generally, and um, uh, but my nan used to watch it when I was younger. She used to watch all of them, but that was the one that I would watch with her. I don't know why. Um, but so I had a sort of old affection for it and I felt that it was, it, it sort of had the ability to do lots of different kinds of stories because it was a village um, that could be both, you know, sort of, it could play the business, you know, love, tri love story side of things and it could play the, the village rural side of things and it could do lots of different things, you know. Um, so I was attracted to that. I knew a few people there, and it was a character that I helped build with uh, the producer at the time. So yeah, all of those things were attractive. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the the door wasn't closed. I don't think on on Declan. It's not open, but it's ajar. Uh, yeah. Would you ever consider consider returning? Uh, I never say never, but um, the reasons that I left are still there, really. So it's a long way. Uh, it's a long way away, and unlike a drama, which is you film on and off for five or six months, uh, and you're home at weekends and blah blah blah, uh, that's that's really relentless. It's a much more full-on schedule, and you have to be up there all of the time, and you want it to be like that when you're in it because there's really no point in doing it otherwise. You want the most story you can have, unless you like a lot of those guys, and fair play to them move there and live there um, and treat it like a, that kind of job, uh, which I can completely understand, but wasn't for me, you know? Definitely. And uh, when I spoke to Jamie uh, a couple of months ago, you two were about to embark on a, a short film project together, um, which I gather you've now shot. Could you uh, say a little bit more about that? Uh, yes. It's, a, um, it's me and Jamie and another friend of ours called Jonathan Harrigan, who... I was in casualty with at the beginning of my and his career. Um, so we've been mates for years and we often just talk about doing something. We actually have collaborated on my other short film, which I made when I was at Waterloo Road. Um, Jamie was in it and John did the music. So um, it's not the first time we've collaborated on a film, but this time we were looking to do something before lockdown and then lockdown happened and we felt this was possibly something we could still do because it's very small. So we just went forward with it and seeing like, as soon as something stops us, we'll stop, but nothing did everything seem to go well. And we crowdfunded it and we got the money and, and we got the crew that we wanted. I mean, a fantastic, amazing crew and a lot of favors. And I think we benefited from the fact that a lot of things weren't happening. So certainly crew and people like Panavision were just like happy to help, you know, so um yeah it went ahead we shot it and we're just about to go into the edit we've we've got a rough cut but um we haven't put the music on and we haven't sort of nuanced the edit or um put the sound design on and all those other things that take some time so yeah all of that post-production stuff is ahead of us but it's looking looking fantastic yeah oh that's great news i'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing it 
Um, we're about to move on to the, the Q&A, but just before we do, um, I want to ask you very quickly, if they rang you tomorrow and said we're doing a one-off Waterloo Road reunion, would you be keen to, to do it? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I, I think it'd be fun, yeah, especially if it was all of those other characters or some of them. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm sure we'd all love to see it. Um, so just before I let you go, it's been really great to chat. Uh, my final question is... Um, do you have anything you'd like to say, really, to fans of Waterloo Road, either past or indeed present? I'd like to say thank you, because, um, you know, when you tell a story, um, the people that listen to the story or like the story are part of the story. And without them, there is no story. Someone's got to listen and someone's got to engage with it for it to work. And we, we felt that then and we are incredibly lucky to feel that again um, and I'm over the moon about it really. I mean, to see kids really enjoying it now just really makes us all feel great. And I, and I think, as I said, even though it doesn't have those technology things that are now everywhere, it has enough of the beginnings of them for it not to be that alien. And yeah, thank you is what I'd say. And to keep watching and keep enjoying it and keep enjoying stories. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jason. It's been a delight to talk to you. You too. Thanks a lot.